to another episode of Under the Radar SFF Books podcast. My name is Blaze, and thanks for joining me wherever you may be listening around the world. Today, I am pleased to welcome fantasy author Sean Valiente to the show. Sean is the author of The Lightning Knight, a classically written epic fantasy story, and book one in the Knights of the Nine series. The Lightning Knight is a story about friendship, magic, secret cults, love, and learning to face your destiny as may not be what you originally thought. And with that, Sean, welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This is great. Yeah. So for those of you who have followed my blog and followed my reviews, Sean was actually the first author to reach out to me when I just started blogging about a year ago, um, asking to take a look at his book and let me know my thoughts. And I absolutely loved it. So it's kind of Kind of funny how it goes full circle <laughs> in being the <laughs> author on my new podcast. So it's a great pleasure to have you, as always. Yeah, I mean, you were um, you were also my first uh, review for a book. So uh, it's kind of been, I've always thought of us as kind of like going through this self-publishing uh, world together sort of thing, because I always refer to like, oh, yeah, I have this review. Um, I think I may have even put some of your quotes um up on Amazon, uh, under like the blurb area and things like that. So, um, it's been a, it's been a fun ride. Yeah. Great stuff. Great stuff. So before we get into your book, why don't we go back to how it all started? Why don't you tell us about your like, childhood growing up, some of your interests and what ultimately brought you to writing and this to fantasy in general? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I love talking about myself and my, my book process, so uh, this, is, this is more than fun for me. Um, but uh, I uh, grew up in Maine. Um, I have an older brother. He's six and a half years older than me. So around the time he turned into a teenager, um, he stopped kind of hanging out with me. So it was a lot of uh, sort of, you know, fending for myself, and that's when I started really getting into reading more and watching um, TV more and uh, you know, playing with action figures and things like that. And uh, those were the times where I really started to create these like sort of independent worlds of my own, um, especially, you know, when I was playing with action figures or uh, growing up, our family sport was karate. So um, I would sometimes, you know, fight invisible putties in my living room while watching Power Rangers um, or, uh, you know, try and save uh, someone pretending I'm in, you know, in the Mystic Knights of Tiernanag or those, those dumb, you know, Fox Kids shows or um, things like that. And then I really wasn't aware of kind of genres of books, right? You know, because growing up in elementary school, there's books on the shelf and you just grab them and you start reading them and teachers assign you books and things like that. Yep. But when, when I got to seventh grade, um, that's when they really started saying, hey, like, you know, pick your own book and sort of develop your own kind of genre niche and I think that's my might have been when I, where I learned the word genre from um in seventh grade so uh it was then that I read uh my first fantasy book really that I understood as a fantasy book was Redwall um and I fell in love with it it was a huge book more a bigger book than I had ever read before um I did a book report on it I was enthralled in the idea of this little mouse and his magical sword and um, this fantasy world, right? And that kind of was my uh, 
my gateway book, if you will, into the fantasy world. And I had a, a friend who recently had read The Hobbit. So I got into that and read that with my mom, um, which was really cool. And that kind of brought about the idea like, oh, hey, I really like this sort of story um, and this sort of uh, setting where there's magic and there's a just different kind of world and you can kind of make things up as you go along. And then, you know, it kind of struck me like, oh, I've kind of liked these similar things before in the movies that I watch and the shows that I watch. And even like thinking back upon it, like in fourth and fifth grade, I was really into Animorphs and things like that. Um, so it all kind of clicked uh, around middle school. And so um, that's kind of where my journey sort of starts, right? In in seventh and eighth grade, we had a writing class um, where we'd get, you know, 150 individual prompts and you'd have to, you know, write a 150 word essay and you have to do 15, 20 of them to get like a B or an A and things like that. And so I had always had this idea this weird idea of having a character start out in jail and him meeting, you know, this other character in jail. And that's kind of where the story starts. So for one of my writing prompts, it was like a choose your own um, kind of a free writing prompt. I used it um, to create this story where this character was on a spaceship uh, above a planet and he was in jail and he met this other guy across um, the from the cell from him and they look below and they can see this planet and it's half uh, it's half like jungle and half uh, machine so think like half um, half like the Amazon and half like Coruscant kind of looking and they're just talking back and forth and all of a sudden like a bang happens and the laser bars that they're in um, go out and that starts their adventure and it was always that like really cool idea of this is where you meet people, right? You meet people in these weird circumstances. And that kind of stuck with me. And then when I got to high school, there was just this always this idea of this character, right? And he had many names growing uh, up um, throughout my life. And so I would just kind of keep him in my head over and over again, like, oh, this would be a cool idea for a story or, oh, this would be a cool way for this character to go. And um, senior year of high school, uh, we had a creative writing class or creative writing club, really. Um, and the uh, thing to do was to bring in a piece of your writing and read it to the club and see what they say. And so the night before, um, like any good procrastinator, is when I waited to do the uh, sort of assignment. And I wrote out this like five page scene um, with this character and with this. Uh, character having a voice in his head telling him what to do and him not necessarily agreeing with it so um so i wrote that and it was just it just spurned this like love of like oh wow like i can actually write something because you think you can you have this idea for a, a character but you don't really think you can do it until you actually do it and then once you've done it you get a taste and um, I know this all sounds kind of like doing drugs, but um, that's kind of what writing is and reading, right? It's like you get a little bit of a taste of like this fantasy world and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to go back to it. So um, I started just taking notes in a notebook about like what I wanted this character to do and look like and his journey and things like that. And then I got to college and um, 
with college, they give you a laptop, um, which was really sweet. And on it has all these programs. And one of the programs was Microsoft OneNote, which was really cool. It was the first time I'd ever interacted with it before. And it was kind of like if you took uh, Microsoft Word and made it into an actual notebook. So it has like, you can put um, words on different places on the page and have different tabs and stuff. and. I was really into, you know, like new technology for me anyway, that was a new technology. And I was like, oh, this is cool. This is where I can kind of keep a digital notebook of all these characters. So I start to take notes for years and years and years. And every time, you know, I'm at the movies or I'm watching TV or I'm out with friends and I think of an idea, I write it down as a note. And soon this character starts to develop into like a full-fledged like okay he's going to be this tall he's going to look like this he's going to have this kind of magic and then i start to think of the world at large and what kind of magic systems they want and things like that and all of a sudden i started to think about okay well wouldn't it be cool if he had another character who was very independent from him but also part of the story kind of like a hermione or a ron to harry right and then what i didn't like about that idea was that hermione and ron are very much secondary characters they're not main characters in their own right like you can only see them through the perspective of harry so i was like well i want them i want my character to be a main character i want have multiple main characters so i was like well obviously i have to have three you know i'll have I'll have the, the one I've been working on for years, and then he'll have a best friend, and then maybe another best friend, and there'll be these three friends, um, which is very classic kind of storytelling and fantasy, but they won't be side characters. They'll be their own main characters in their own right. And then after that, I was like, well, why am I stopping at three, right? Like each character can be its own sort of kind of individualized genre of a character so i could have a princess i could have elves i could have an assassin and then i was like well obviously i'm gonna have to have like a vampire and a werewolf and um then i can have a soldier and i can have like uh a dragon and i can have this and that and i was like oh well this is cool because say for instance unlike you're not like me and you don't necessarily fall in love with the with the first character like, that's fine. He doesn't have to be your favorite character. This next character can be. And um, and she can be, you know, a real full-fledged character and not a side character. So I ended up coming up with 10 different characters, each one very different than the one before, kind of saying like, hey, you know, there's somebody for you to root for in my stories. So... Um, I'm taking all these notes throughout college and after college, and it's just like pages and pages of like ideas. And for me, um, it was really about thinking about scenes and saying, that would be a really cool scene. Like as if I'm shooting it on a movie and then saying, okay, well, that's a scene I want. I'll write that down and then I'll figure out how I get to it later. So, um, I, I'm doing this, um, basically anytime I have free time that I'm not, you know, engaged with anything else. I'm just thinking about my book and thinking about my stories and thinking about the whole series as a whole. And um, and I come up with really the bones of the main plot line for all uh, nine or 10 books. And then a, a really good uh, fleshed out idea for the first book. 
and I start to take my friends out to dinner and spend 45 minutes explaining every single part of these books. And at the end, um, my friends were always like, oh, wow, this is really good. You should write it. And I'm always like, yeah, I know, right? Um, but uh, it wasn't until I think the summer of 2017, I took my best friend Paige out to dinner and I did my whole spiel. Um, it literally does take 45 minutes to tell the whole story. And uh, at the end, she was very adamant that I start writing the book. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know, I really do. And she was, you know, that very much best friend, like, no, you don't understand, you have to write this book. And I was like, okay. So I'm visiting her and her husband for 4th of July. And we are, um, her husband is working at a candy store. And um, me and Paige are watching, I think, Glow on Netflix uh, in the living room, not doing anything. And then so the episode ends and she shuts it off and she says, we're going to write for 30 minutes right now. And I'm like, okay, you know, thinking like every time I've ever tried to start writing this stupid book, um, it's always like I get five minutes in and then I stop. So I've tried airplanes. I've tried literally like bicycling to the library and writing there. Um, I've tried a whole bunch of things and I could never get started. It was like trying to start a fire, but you didn't have a match, you know, and you're just trying to bang two rocks together and they're not even the right types of rocks. So for some reason, um, during that little 30 minute writing sprint, I just decided to let go of what I was thinking about and just start with my character and kind of watch it happen like I was watching TV and then just transcribe it. So um, I did that for 30 minutes and I had like a whole scene down. I ended up, you know, doing like 500 to a thousand words, like a crazy pace. And I was like, oh my God, this is like, I can see the world now. I can like, I'm just following this character. I'm not caring about any like rules or caring about any kind of, um, setup that I'm trying to do I'm just saying like okay here's where I'm starting and then let's see where the character takes you um it's a very uh pantser uh move uh for writing right there's plotters and panthers so I did that and then I went home and I spent every basically every night for the next three months just writing so I'd get home from work I'd eat dinner I'd throw on like Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, Unlimited Edition, which is like five hours long just to have background noise, and I would just write. Um, and it was basically the most crazy experience I've ever had where I'm writing, I'm like, okay, I have this character, and then all of a sudden a different character pops up that I'd never thought of before. And I was like, oh, oh, you're cool. I'm, I'm going to add – we're going to see where you take us too. Um, so – that's that's sort of what happened. I just kind of wrote for three months straight. Um, and, you know, this was at a time in my life where I was, you know, I wasn't in a relationship. I had not met my now wife. Um, I was really just kind of like in, the, in a kind of a sad spot. And I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to focus all my energy into this writing. And, um, and it really helped. Like it, it was awesome to have the story and I loved the story. And then it was also like great for my life. So um, that's kind of how it all happened. It was just, it's a journey. It's a decades long journey, but, uh, but at the end it's, it's nothing that I ever prepared for. And it's nothing that I ever, you know, for lack of a better term plotted for, right. It was more of 
my best friend said, start writing. And I listened to her and here we are. And here we are. Make sure you tell Paige and your other friends that they were right. You should have wrote, written the book <laughs> to be a very good book indeed. And with that, why don't we trans, uh, why don't we move over to the lightning night? And if you'll indulge me with just one second, I'd love to read the back cover. Because when I first read this, after you sent it to me, I was just salivating because I wanted to read this story. And we'll talk about how you got the inspiration for this in a second. But the lightning night. Poe Pondarian has always dreamed of becoming a true knight. What he doesn't know is that he's destined to save the world and reignite the spark of magic within it. But this is not his story. It's mine. See, I once thought magic was only the stuff of fairy tales, and I was wrong. I'm doing my best to protect, train, and mentor Poe as we search for the key to unlock magic before a dangerous secret group gets there first. I mean, while that all seems a bit much to take on for a 16-year-old, that's because it is, here I was just planning on courting the girl of my dreams, figuring out what I wanted to do with my life, and trying not to get into too much trouble. But things can never be that easy. Can they? I guess if it were easy, it wouldn't be me. I am Oliver Quartermain, and my life is about to get a lot more complicated. So with that, why don't you tell us about this world in this first book, Sean? Yeah, so um, as as you were reading, uh, the story follows Oliver Quartermain, um, and I can go into details about, you know, more specific details about the character and their names and things like that, but um, I'll wait for a second. So... Oliver is a very Tony Stark-esque type 16-year-old, right? He comes from a rich family. His family is a bunch of inventors over the years. Um, he is very privileged, so his mindset is he doesn't really know a lot about the real world out there. He has a very um, focused view. But beyond that, um, it's really kind of a story about him in high school, for lack of a better term. You know, just trying to date a girl trying to figure out what he's supposed to be doing in his life um and then all of a sudden being thrust into a situation he was never trying to find right he never planned to try and be a hero he never tried planned to try and do anything with magic um all he wants to do is date iris um so that was the the crux of the idea of the story was really trying to find or trying to follow that sort of that teenage mindset of when you're just starting to have really big ideas, but you don't have the experience to actually, or the maturity to actually follow through with them, right? So like, I think if you think back to how you were in high school or anybody was in high school, you were like, I know things, but adults don't think I know things. They don't take me seriously, even though I don't have the experience that says I should go one way. I'm like, I know I'm right. Um, I have all these really, really, really big feelings that I don't know how to process, um, which was a big thing for me, right? I wanted Oliver and his friends to seem like what real teenagers would seem like and not what a fantasy teenager might. You know, you you read a lot of books and it's a 14 year old and all of a sudden they're like the leader of a gang and they're, you know, wise beyond reason. And you're just like, when I was 14, I could barely talk to um, another person without, you know, giggling or saying a fart joke or something like that. Right. So um, I wanted it to be that sort of that character where you can really feel yourself saying, Oh man, he doesn't know anything and neither do I. And 
what's really fun is that as the reader, um, you notice a bunch of things that you're like, Oliver, how do you, how do you not see this? How do you not understand this is happening? Um, which is very much like when I was 16 years old, you know, I was oblivious to anything other than what was right in front of me. Um, so Oliver is a very typical sort of 16 year old boy who's basically obsessed with sports and girls and is just trying to make it through life. Um, and, and what was interesting is that the first kind of draft, so this is the final book is definitely like the third version of this story. The first and first and second, maybe, or first and first and a half um, version of this story, Oliver was um, the, you know, kind of the chosen one. He was the one who was supposed to save magic. He was supposed to do this and do that, do up and down. Um, and like I was saying earlier, you know, when I was writing, I was writing the third or the, yeah, the third chapter for the first time. And all of a sudden, Oliver and his best friend, Rock, are just standing in the front of the school, kind of watching new kids come by on the first day. And all of a sudden, Poe popped up, uh, this little tiny 12-year-old, 13-year-old freshman who um, is just like wide-eyed and uh, thinks, you know, these kind of, for lack of a better term, senior boys are just like the coolest people in the world. Um, and after after a while, I was like, he his story is very interesting in that he might be the chosen one. Um, so that's when I kind of switched the narrative and said, okay, I love Oliver. He's a great character, but he's not his his character. When I thought about it a lot, he's not really a chosen one type. He is. I just want to make it through life and do the things I want to do. Right. Um, he doesn't have these big aspirations or these big dreams or anything, this, this call to being a hero. And so I switched it and Poe ended up being kind of this chosen one figure, but the story is still around Oliver. So um, in my head, I was like, well, and I love star Wars, you know, as much as anybody. So I was like, well, if Poe is going to be this Luke Skywalker figure, right, this chosen one figure, then he's going to need a, a pseudo kind of Obi-Wan character to say, hey, you know, this is what you should be doing. Let me train you. And I was like, well, I guess that can be Oliver. Their relationship is already really tight like that. But what made it interesting was that um, in this story, Oliver doesn't know anything about magic, about um, all these trials and tribulations that they're going to go through. So it's not really Obi-Wan leading Luke. It's kind of like C-3PO leading Luke and C-3PO is supposed <laughs> to be the uh, the mentor, but um, he doesn't know anything. So it's just, it made for a really interesting dynamic. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, this isn't like a grim, dark um, sci-fi novel or no, sorry, fantasy novel. It's really a very classic hero's journey chosen one but it's just taking a different perspective right really taking right. the perspective of you know that mentor character but the mentor character doesn't know anything it's it's blind leading the blind but the but the main character is really just you know i just want to be with the girl i like which is very interesting to say because um as you read throughout the book oliver's heart I like to describe him as having a wandering heart very much mm -hmm. like in high school. Like one day you're like, Oh my God, I, I love this person. I couldn't love them anymore. And then the next, the next week you're like, you know what? I could definitely, I definitely am into this other girl instead. So um, it's, it's so, it's just so much fun.
Yeah, this story definitely threw me for a loop. I remember reading it, thinking that the story would go down one particular path, and then boom, halfway you'll throw a curveball, and then it'll go down a completely different path. And that's very fun to enjoy and see happen. Thinking back on it, the only other book or series, I think, that, sorry, where the main character is not the typical chosen one and that someone else in the story is a chosen one is um, Will White's Travel Gate series, where the main character, Simon, he is not the chosen one. He sees somebody else, I believe his name is Alan, become the chosen one, and Simon has to find his own path. So that was what I kind of found when I was reading this book. Of course, very different circumstances regarding that. So, so yeah, why don't we uh, switch gears a little bit and why don't we talk about the publishing aspect of getting your book out to the market? So you chose to go down the path of the self-published rather than traditional. Could you just walk us through that process for you? And if you tried to go down traditional and versus self-published and how that all happened, because I'm pretty sure we have authors and want to be authors uh, thinking about this as well. Yeah, I mean, um, it was definitely something that I was excited about, right, the whole process. Um, so my background, I'm a corporate finance and accounting um, professional. So I've worked in a million startups, um, and uh, I'm very in that entrepreneurial space. So uh, self-publishing is very, like, very entrepreneurial, um, very seat-of-your-pants, learning-as-you-go sort of situation. Um, when I was first writing the book, I think in my head, I was like, I kind of want to self-publish this because that sounds exciting. Um, uh, if I, you know, would have known all of that entails, I would have been like, that doesn't sound exciting. It sounds exhausting, but um, still kind of fun. And uh, I went to a Boston writing workshop um, when I was probably 90% done with the book uh, on the first go around and I pitched to an agent and that was really exciting um, but the entire process of pitching to an agent because traditional publishing is very much like there's steps right you have to pitch to an agent find the agent you sign with the agent the agent goes and finds you a publisher um, and that's a whole thing and so it felt very much kind of like online dating which um, is can be you know exhausting to a point right like you're just uh going through profiles and you're saying oh i like this person i don't like this person it's the same with trying to find an agent right you're trying to find an agent who you like hopefully they'll like you that part is difficult it's a whole thing um so kind of from the beginning i was like i really like this idea of self-publishing let me learn more about it and the self-publishing world you know has changed dramatically from the early 2000s to the 2010s to even like the 2020s now um it is very much a wild wild west of information out there and you can definitely get lost you can definitely you know not do things in the right order or do things correctly um for me it was a lot of okay i'm just gonna take this from a business perspective you know, one step at a time. Step one is you have to finish your book, right? Um, and that can be hard, especially when you're like nearing the end and you start to get excited about the idea of having a physical copy in your hand and then like smelling it and then like holding it and then like, you know, having it on your nightstand at night, um, which is not something I do with any of my books. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but the first step is, you know, finish your book and then 
for anybody who wants to self-publish, um, it is simultaneously very, very difficult and also extremely easy. You can easily have a real book in your hand tomorrow if you if you wanted to. Well, not tomorrow with shipping delays and things like that, but you get my gist. But if you come at it from a, I want to have a self-published book that is just as professional and just as good as a traditional um, lead published book, then it takes time and it takes a lot of research. And there is a lot of information on the internet about all of these things. Um, but uh, finding what's right for you and what's right for your genre um, can be a little bit difficult. I think in my head, I've always wanted to like take a weekend and just write out like, here is exactly what you should be doing to self-publish a book because most of the information out there is much is very much like if you want to do this you can you can try this if you want to or here's what you know here's some things we might recommend but nobody ever tells you like use garamond garamond is what you need to use for your font it's what everybody uses don't try and be fancy use garamond done right like i probably spent like a week like researching fonts and like the sizes of fonts and like the spacing between the lines and things like that when I just want somebody to be like have this much space have it this big have it this type for your ebook and have it this type for your print book and you'll be happy right um so uh kind of the quick and dirty overview of self-publishing is a you you want to try and do it as professionally as traditional publishing so that means you do have to hire an editor and there's like three different types of editing um which is something you know i learned over time right there's developmental editing which is typically something you do you know if you're self-publishing and you don't really know what's going on you do it with your friends and you do it with your family right you're like i wrote a book read it here's the link to my google docs or here's my pdf i'll email it to you that's what developmental editing is it's saying okay how's the plot how's the story how are the characters do you need to change things right and oftentimes you'll see a lot of established self-published um writers do use like alpha readers or beta readers um i know i think you're a beta reader for uh, a few people so and those and those things are like incredibly helpful i my best friend Paige, who i was speaking about earlier um she was what i term an alpha reader right like she was reading basically at the moment I was done writing the chapter, she was reading it um, on the Google Docs sort of situation. It wasn't like a beta reader where like, here's the whole thing. Tell me what you think. Um, it was very early in the stages. But then having beta readers really kind of helps you see the forest through the trees, right? When you're writing and you're in the thick of it, you're like, oh my God, I've been thinking about this. I know exactly how this sentence is supposed to say and convey the plot and stuff. And then somebody else reads it and they're like, I don't know what you're saying that's not real words. Um, so uh, having having the developmental editing process is key. And then there's um, and then there's content editing um, and proofreading. And this is where you go to hire professionals, right? And they can be like five cents a word or a dollar a page or anything like that. And um, it is crucial. It doesn't matter if you have an English degree or if, you know, you're, um, if you're like, oh, I'm, I'm really good at proofreading, right? You have to get someone who's 
like job it is to like do this sort of thing because there's mechanics involved that you're just going to miss. Um, I ended up finding mine on a website called Readsy, um, but you can get them on like Fiverr or Twitter or the internet or kind of anywhere. Um, but it's, it is a, it's like a cost that is so well worth it, right? Because it takes you from having reviews saying, oh, there's some typos, there's some grammatical errors, there's sentence structure errors to saying more about your plot and your theme in your book um, instead of that. So there's that aspect of editing. Then a big thing that you don't really think about until it comes at you is the cover, right? So different covers for different like genres have cover expectations. So, you know, a fantasy cover is very different than a romance novel cover, very different than a young adult um, novel or a middle grade novel or a mystery or a crime thriller or anything like that, right? So you really have to do the research into going into your genre section and saying, what do covers look like? Because while your inclination might be, hey, I'm going to be different. I'm going to stand out. You know, all sci-fi book covers are black. I'm going to be pink. Um, while that's good uh, and that's unique and creative, at the same time, people have expectations, right? When they go to McDonald's, they expect to get McDonald's. They don't expect to get pizza. So um, it's it's thinking about that, doing I ended up hiring an illustrator to do uh, my book cover, and then I hired my uh, sister-in-law, who is a graphic designer, to do the actual design of the book cover. Instead of just using, like, Times New Roman for the fonts, she, like, found a super awesome font um, that I forget what it's called. But uh, there's there's that aspect of it, right? So self-publishing is often kind of like a general contractor for a house, you know? sometimes. As a general contractor, you have to hire the electrician. You have to hire the plumber. Like they're certified, they know what they're doing. It's not something you can do. And that's the same with like self-publishing. You have to hire the editor. You have to hire the cover person. Um, and then beyond that, you can kind of do the rest of it yourself. So there's two big publishing um, kind of aspects uh, for actually printing the physical books or sending out the the ebook, right? There's Amazon, which, you know, love it or hate it, they are the market leader. It's like 70% of all books go through Amazon. So um, there's that. And then there is Ingram Spark, which is the printer for basically everybody else. Like you could you could self-publish through Barnes and Noble and they will print from Ingram Spark. So um, Ingram Spark is what if you want your local uh, bookstore to order books from, they're going to order from Ingram Spark. Um, so they're like kind of a place you have to have your book from. Then there's other small publishers like, you know, Book Baby or um, a couple of other ones that they're not publishers, they're printers, right? So um, it's like where you can actually get your paper and your book covers and hardbacks and, um, and paperbacks and things like that. So, um, there's just all these different options and aspects and because it's self-publishing there's no nobody's telling you like here's what you should do it's more of like do whatever you want um and if you don't take the time to research and say hey here's what um 
the market or my genre or my type of book needs to have, uh, then you might end up having an awesome book that no one ever picks up. Because, I mean, it it's cliche to say don't judge a book by your by its cover, but people judge books by their covers and they judge books by their titles and they judge books by the back of the book blurb. Um, and so if you don't take the time to invest your resources into making sure those things make sense and those things are professional, then, you know, the greatest story in the world is never going to get read. Yeah. It may be superficial to say that the the cover is X and it looks like this and it may have this, but it really, it makes a big difference. I know not just for me as a, as a fan, as a reader, but also for the publishing industry as well. And it's funny you mentioned uh, beta reading. So I can quickly share my experience being a, a beta reader. I was, I'm a beta reader for three or four authors and each one is different and what exactly they're looking for. So one will send me the whole the whole uh, story, and they'll want me to make notes chapter by chapter by chapter. How did this character interact with other characters? Does it move the plot forward? How were the twists? How were the emotional connection? All that. Make notes, and don't worry about a spell check or corrections. Those will get fixed uh, by editing. So other times, they'll just say, oh, here, take the whole book and just give us like a one-paragraph overview of how you felt and what your general impressions are of the book are make a note if there's anything you want the author to look into or possibly change and see if the flow works as well. So every single time I beta read something, it's a completely different experience and which is fun, but also can be a little bit hectic because some authors want to be more, obviously they want to be involved. It's their work, but they want more feedback. They want to be they're like on us to get us back information as quickly as possible. So it's definitely a fun experience. If anyone ever has the opportunity to be a beta reader, I highly recommend it. Just make sure you know what you're getting into as you have to meet deadlines. I remember one time, and it was like a short novella. It was like 100 pages. They needed it within two days. I'm like, what? Oh, jeez. You know I have a, other obligations, but, you know, that's what I signed up for, and I wouldn't change it for the world. So very glad to be a part of that, and I am glad to share that experience with all the authors who I beta read for. Um, you mentioned that, uh, sorry, you mentioned that you're a big Star Wars fan and that Oliver is kind of like a pseudo uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. So I'm a huge Star Wars fan as well. So kind of interested to see what other science fiction and fantasy, either movies or shows you highly recommend or that you watch religiously or have watched on, on TV. Yeah, so um, I'm definitely a bigger uh, media consumer for like through TV and movies than um, I am through books, uh, mm -hmm. mostly because during the pandemic, I don't have my long car ride to work anymore to listen to them, right, um, which is where I would do a lot of my reading would be listening. Um, so for me, like recently, um, I made a spreadsheet for the fall uh, season of everything that's kind of coming out that I'm, I'm looking forward to. And, and basically every week has something um, new. So I, I don't have any dry spells, which is nice, um, especially with Disney Plus changing their release dates to Wednesdays. Um, some some uh, some shows double up uh, for a week. So um, obviously uh, big Star Wars fan. So I just uh, ate up Star Wars Visions that came out um, a week and a half ago, I think, which was great. Um, 
it was definitely like a cool Star Wars take with anime stories and anime uh, art with like nine different studios. It was awesome. Um, I'm really looking forward to the to the season finale of What If. Um, I've been freaking out on a text chain with a couple of my friends about it. Um, I just saw Venom two last night uh, at the movies, which was which was fun. How was um, it? So if if Venom if the first Venom was like a B, then this one is probably like a C plus, mostly okay. because for a few reasons, right? One is a it's a, it's like a quick hour and a half, so it's super easy to watch. It's got a lot of awesome scenes, and Carnage is great in it, and it's got a lot of cool Venom and Eddie Brock banter that, you know, is like the heart of the first movie. Um, in terms of, like, overall plot cohesion, it, it didn't, like, there was something about the flow that felt off, um, but, uh, but I mean, it was, it's like, it's a fun movie to watch, and, um, if you if you like comic book movies, it'll be like very enjoyable, and it's not two and a half hours long. Um, but yeah, so you know, I'm really into the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe and Marvel Comic Book Universe, um, and then uh, the DC uh, whatever universe you want, right? The animated universe is awesome. They're going to come out with Injustice um, as an animated series, which is probably one of the best story. DC story video games I've ever seen. And then the comic tie-ins were amazing as well. Um, with uh, Boba Fett coming out in December. And then yep. um, I'm unsure if Mandalorian is supposed to come out after it or if production is supposed to start after it. I couldn't really tell from um, the news. And then uh, and then found, um, Foundation came out on, on Apple TV, which um, I want to start I'm not sure if I want to like give it a couple of episodes so I can just like watch for three straight hours or not, um, which is definitely like a really fun binge go to. Um, I just finished Shadow and Bone, which was interesting. I have a lot of interesting opinions about it um, because it felt like three different shows were happening at one time. And one of the shows is really fun, which was like a heist show, like a steampunk heist show, which was like mm -hmm. super fun. And then um, kind of the other two parts were a little weird. And the first like episode was just way too much. It did not take its time um, at all. It's just like, here you are, here's all the characters, here's a whole bunch of things you don't understand, try and keep up, which I thought was an interesting attempt because if you look at like a Game of Thrones, um, even you know with the billions of characters and Game of Thrones and billions of things going on, it takes its time to say like, here are the characters, here's kind of what their motivations are, here's what's going on. Um, so there's that. Um, there's, you know, James Bond's No uh, no Time to Die um, is coming out, I think next week, uh, which will be exciting. So, um, you know, basically kind of anything in the big nerd geek monoculture um, I'm, I'm in for and I love I love every week having a new thing, um, like a like a new Ted Lasso episode on Fridays, or a new What If, um, or um, a new movie to go out to uh, and see, which is uh, always really exciting. Yeah, my wife and I we've been watching Ted Lasso every Friday. <laughs> we can't stop. Nice. It's a great show. Um, I just uh, I just ordered um, a uh, a Roy Kent and a um, Danny 
uh, Rojas jersey for me and my wife. So we're going to wear them when we watch Ted Lasso on Fridays. Awesome. I can attest to Foundation. Uh, my wife and I, we watched the first two episodes last week. I think rele- they released the first two episodes and it was pretty good. We haven't watched the one that was released yesterday. So we'll keep you updated on that. Um, what I'm looking forward to in the fall is, well, obviously Dune, which has been delayed. Um, hopefully I get to go to see it in movies. Um, can't wait for it. Although I've heard Dune, they actually cut the book in half. Um, the movie is only the first half of, of Dune, which kind of surprised me because Dune is not necessarily a very long book. I think it's only like four to 500 pages long. So I'm pretty sure they could have, but you know, probably more cinema, more battles and that part part of it as well. Well, if, you, if you've ever watched um, what the director does uh, from different movies, it's uh, mm-hmm. Danny Villanueva. Um, and and uh, he's got, he's done, you know, uh, Blade Runner 2049 um, and a couple of other things. He really likes to take his time with the shots and with the pace and really give you that kind of grandeur sort of feeling. So um, I imagine with Dune, they're just, they're not going to plow through. They're really going to take their time with developing um, the characters and making you the, making you feel for them. Yeah. And that's what the book and that's what the movie deserve. Um, also coming out, obviously the uh, Wheel of Time, which is going to drop oh. November. Yeah. Um, have you read Man. the series? Um, no, but um, I know it is a it's quite the ride, uh, and um, I'm excited for that to be sort of like because I'm assuming Amazon pumped money into it because the books are so you know grand and big in their scope um, that. Amazon can turn it into their sort of like Game of Thrones uh, multi-year. Everybody's kind of following and watching at the same time. I mean, they're they try they're trying it with that. They're trying it with um, the Lord of the Rings Amazon show for right. the Second Age. Um, I think they're just saying like, there's a Game of Thrones out there. We just need to find which one. Let's try, you know, two two swings um, at the pitch with these two big uh, IPs. And the amount of money they're throwing at both of these shows, one of them has to stick, and hopefully both of them do as well. Um, and the final one, well, I guess you mentioned Lord of the Rings, so that's that's a great show in order to get through as well. And also The Expanse. I don't know if you um, watched that show. I think it was that's on Sci-Fi, and then I think it switched for like the fourth season. That's the first book is Leviathan Wakes. I don't know if you read that book or watched the show, but I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I haven't. I mean, it's definitely been something that um, it's been recommended to me a bunch of times. Um, it's just, you know, falls on the queue, uh, especially when other things pop up, like, you know, a new season of The Witcher or um, things like that. So it's it's on my to-do list, uh, the ever-expanding to-do list. Yeah, I definitely forgot to mention The Witcher. Uh, lo- it was a good first season. It was a little, little disjointed. Some episodes were better than others but overall the story was was good and we are looking forward to season two to be released what, what i found with the witcher is that i enjoyed watching it the second time so what i did was each episode i'd, I'd watch twice i'd watch once with my wife and then when she went to bed i'd watch it again without her <laughs> and then um when the season ended i watched the whole thing again and um it was really like oh wow these now everything kind of makes sense um definitely the first run through was just it's very kind of you said it disjointed and you're like i don't exactly know what's going on um to be a weird thread back to 
the Lightning Knight, um, it's very much set up in a similar vein where you get all these kind of side characters or you get all these like weird little things that'll happen and then they're just never talked about again. Um, And that is something very intentional for the future and different books, but also very indicative of, you know, life where something happens to you and there's this other character in your life and then all of a sudden there's not and you don't know whatever happens to them and the only way you find out is if they end up on Facebook or something. So um, The Witcher was very much like that, but also my book's like that. Exactly. My wife actually, it was like four episodes in where my wife turned to me and it's like, are you charred by the multiple timelines? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you know, there's two timelines. Like I, and I, she was absolutely right. I, I missed it going the first time. I'm uh, like, I need to rewatch the first four episodes. I did. I'm like, can't believe they did that to me. And I know right? that stuff. So she keeps holding that over my head. <laughs> <laughs> I, I missed it. We were both, me and my wife were both like the first episode. You're like, I don't know what's going on. The second episode, you're like, I still don't know what's going on. The third episode, you're like, I think I like this show, but I don't know why. And then the fourth episode comes and you're like, oh my God, I understand now. I now have to rewatch everything. <laughs> I don't know if that's brilliant or it's just painful, but I, I, yeah, I, uh, I definitely uh, give them props for it. It's definitely like, so I've seen it, you know, I'm, I'm very, uh, very online, if you will. Um, So a lot of times people will complain, they'll be like, you know, why do I want to read a book or watch a movie that I have to, you know, oh, just get through the first three episodes and then, and then it gets good. It's like, why do I have to do that? But then at the same time, people complain like, oh man, this pacing is too fast. Like, okay, well, if you if you want the pacing to be, you know, deliberate and, and make sense, then sometimes you just have to give it a give it a chance um, and not just give up after like the first chapter or the first episode kind of thing. Exactly, exactly. So the Enlightened Night was published December of 2020. So it's been almost a year going on. I'm sure sure fan and as well as myself would like to know what your progress is on the sequel, and if you have a title yet. I, I do have a title. Um, <laughs> you know what? I've, I haven't told anybody this title, so I will announce it on your podcast, which is fun. Um, I'll have to tell all my friends to listen now so they can find out what the title is. So um, the second book will be The Knights of Nine, The Windrunner. Oh. First book, you understand that or get character named Runner. Um, so what I will say is that uh, the second book will not be about what you think it'll be about, um, but it is titled The Windrunner. It, um, it will delve into a whole land that is uh, you have not been a part of before and uh, across the mountains and deals with a whole bunch of different races of goblins and orcs and elves and more dragons and uh, some interesting human-type people. Um, and it's going to be following a whole new character or a whole different character um, than Oliver. So um, instead of following Oliver as sort of in his head, you'll be in somebody else's head. And Oliver will be this kind of secondary character, if you will. So it's going to be pretty exciting. I am nine chapters in of probably 50 chapters again. Um, and I just realized, or I just figured out a very key plot device or plot point um, that I'm going to change, which is going to make the motivation or make one aspect of the main character's life a little bit more rich. 
um, than uh, what I had originally planned, which is exciting. Um, it's it's definitely if you know anything about the structure of my first book, um, it's the first half or the first part, if you will, is all first person um, narrative point of view, and it's all inside Oliver's head. And then the second half switches to third person, sort of like you're watching from a TV. Um, for this next book, it's going to be the exact same kind of structure, first person point of view, and then second, and then the second half will be third person. But um, the timeline is almost the exact same. So the first book starts, pretend it starts in September. Um, the second book will also start at that same point in September. And then when you get to the end of part one, that will be the end of the previous book. So sort of you'll be advancing the plot further in the second half of the book, um, which will be exciting. So there's going to be a lot of overlap. Um, there's going to be a lot of, oh, I've been in this scene before, but from a different perspective. Um, and you'll learn a little bit more about kind of all the characters. So it'll be pretty exciting. Very exciting stuff. It's kind of similar to how uh, George Martin did uh, Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons, kind of. There's overlap towards the end of Dance with Dragons, and it gets back on that one course. So it's definitely a plot device I, I enjoy, and I look forward to reading it whenever that may be. So since my podcast handle is Under the Radar, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask if you had any Under the Radar novels or any types of series that you loved that needs to have more recognition. Um. Yeah, I mean, this is going to sound super strange um, because it is part of the most well-known fantasy series of all time in Lord of the Rings. Right. But um, there is a book called The Silmarillion, which is, you know, a lot of what um, this new Amazon show will be based off of, or at least parts of it anyway. But it is, you know, it was published after Tolkien's death um, by his son based on all of his notes and writings and things like that. And it's kind of the start of the entire world, very biblical, like um, all the way through up to uh, the beginning of The Hobbit. And it never gets mentioned, it never gets talked about because you know you have The Hobbit, you have The Lord of the Rings, and then that's kind of it. But um, it can be a very interesting read, but it is so full uh, and rich with different stories and different characters. Um, I'm doing a reread right now, and then at the same time, I'm listening to like um, a Lord of the Nerds pod or Lord of the Nerds YouTube channel where they just like talk about these different um, storylines and characters. And it's it's so crazy how all this history and all these stories kind of mesh and weld into the story of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Um, and it's just super interesting and it's very under the radar. Like no one ever talks about it. Um, no one ever mentions it but i love that book um i read it once you know when i was in ninth grade and i fell in love with that kind of world building and saying like okay you don't just world build for the sake of saying i need to tell people how roads were made but you have to have a story behind it and then you know if you think about anything in the world like why do the roads in boston all make turns and don't make any sense and the roads in uh new york are you know straight lines and stuff it's well in Boston, the roads were made after the cow paths, so the cow wanders around, and that's the road. Um, whereas New York, uh, it burned down, and then they just rebuilt it grid by grid. So, um, little stories like that kind of make make the mechanics of the world more rich. And 
you know, that's what the Silmarillion does. It makes the ideas of Lord of the Rings and the mechanics of that world even richer. One fun fact about the Silmarillion, and I don't know if you know this, but it was written by um, Tolkien's son, and it was also ghostwritten by Gavriel Guy Kay. Part, parts of it, he uh, helped um, the son write. And I found wow. that about a year ago. And since then, I've been reading a lot of Kay's work, such as Taigana and, um, and all his other works as well. So if you haven't read Gavriel Guy Kay, highly recommend it, especially uh, Taigana. It's a standalone story about... Um, memory and how losing it could affect your your recognition of the people around you and the way you live and certain traditions you may have. So I highly, highly recommend that. Wow. Yeah. That's like a two for one right there. <laughs> exactly. So with that, I think we'll start wrapping up. So Sean, why don't you tell the people how they can find you your, on social media and also your uh, website? Yeah, so my website, my author website, every author has a rinky-dink website or a really awesome website. There's no in-between. Um, it's uh, seanvaliente.com. Um, I'm on Twitter, at stayathomesean. That will one day hopefully connect to my dad blog because the dream, stay-at-home dad. Um, but who knows if that'll happen, um, where I mostly tweet about uh, writing stuff or about the NBA. Um, I did recently do a Batman ranking um, of actors. So that was fun. Um, and then I am also, uh, on Instagram. And if you follow my Instagram live, it is mostly memes I find on the internet. So, uh, super fun. <laughs> super, super fun. Well, thank you so much, Sean, for joining me and taking the time to talk books and the lightning with us. And we look forward to having you back on. Yeah, this has been great. Thank you so much. Yeah, cheers. <laughs>